Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. My name is Mike Wynn. I'm one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this weekly, purportedly weekly radio show. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, Community Outreach, Communications Outreach and Professional Standards Commander. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. How are you today? It's Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> A little... Little dreary to wake up to. A drizzly, dreary, overcast Friday. All right. So I think we're going to, I think we agreed we're going to hold off on wh- what is probably the news item that's on most or many of our listeners and viewers' minds for the top of the show because we're going to talk about that at length a little bit later. So let's talk about some other news things. Um, I thought on the drive out here, and this hasn't, uh, this, you know, it, it's not from a, a local news source, but I thought this was news. We haven't had a health report in probably over a month now you know we haven't had either doc, dr kohlberg or Ms. Uh, director armstrong join us right. but we had a department head meeting yesterday and director armstrong shared with us that um as of a statewide health meeting i believe yesterday um pittsfield's status in the color-coded status had actually been lowered from the the lowest reportable green status to gray Mm-hmm. which means no no noticeable rate of transmission which means all of berkshire county now is is gray not even included in the reporting which is really good news for berkshire county and speaks very highly to the degree of compliance with our local residents um with all of the mask use and social distancing protocols and hand washing and disinfectant and frequent cleaning and hygiene and all that other stuff we talked about weekly and daily during march April, May, June. Yep. So, um, you know, we're still in this thing, but progress, we're ter- turning the tide. So stay vigilant, protect yourselves, take steps to protect everybody else. Uh, national news, the wildfires are continuing to rage. Massive rescue efforts underway out there, uh, reported in this morning's news cycle. It, you know, depending on the timing, there's a wildland firefighter either declared missing or potentially um, lost. It's just horrific, right? You know, dangerous, dangerous situation. And then on the other coast, right, Florida's bit recovering and trying to recover and battered by storm surge from hurricanes. Right? And yeah. there's more tropical storms and potential hurricanes out in the Gulf. I was listening to a news story this morning on NBC, um, a couple in the food services industry from, I believe they said New Jersey, uh, had to close their catering business because of COVID-19, made a decision, relocated to Florida, invested everything they had in a new venture, was supposed to open on Tuesday, couldn't open because the hurricane was bearing down, the entire new venture was flooded with rain and storm surge, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people in a lot of crises out there. Um, I'll take the snow. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> as much as we're going to complain about it, I'll yeah. take the snow too. Uh, in other news, I just, um, 
I, I lost the article here. Where did it go? I'm sorry. While you're while you're looking for that, I'll jump in on one that struck me because Go I ahead. ran into it this year. Um, there was an article about the shortage of bikes. Yeah. And uh, we uh, we had thought that um, you know we should spend the summer and uh, you know get on the trail a little bit and do some biking. So we went down the um, one of the local bike shops and. Wiped out. No bikes to be had. No. no. It was basically repairs or, you know, if you wanted something super basic and, you know, yep. I, which I haven't had luck with in the, in the past, so I wanted to upgrade a little bit. It's, uh, yeah. If you want to if you want to borrow a bike, let me know. I'll lend you one of my bikes. All right, thanks. All right. You lend me your kayak. So, <laughs> um, so I found the other article. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because uh, I don't want to court controversy, but, you know, we... I we I was guilty of it. It 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 bit me earlier this year, but um, in testimony in the Homeland, uh, I think it was the Homeland Security Subcommittee, Director Ray from the FBI testified about um, the word Antifa, right? The the that label, and uh, you know, particularly you know, what it is and and what it isn't. And I I thought that the way he described it, um was worth mentioning because he described it as a ideology, right? It's an extremist ideology, not necessarily an organization, right? And whether you look at them and you, you know, the, the anti-fascist, you know, you hope anybody is anti-fascist, but if it's anti-fascist, if it's, you know, ideological extremists, if it's anarchist, whatever it is, by kind of definition, that means not centrally organized right it's 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 kind of loose so thinking about it as a as a ideology and or a movement rather than an organization or an association i thought was useful there's an article in today's eagle about it um you know the, the political ramifications of of his testimony i don't want to get into but i thought it was worth a mention here so yeah i didn't see that yeah all right so before we get to a couple pd related topics one of which has been driving the news cycle for several days now um last night i had to take a little walk downtown so it is september and ordinarily in, in september we'd be getting ready for the last um third thir or the last third thursday of the year but there have been no third thursdays this year because of covid19 mm -hmm. and so um for several years now, for many years now, during the September 3rd Thursday, one of the regular parts of it is the Elizabeth Freeman Center's annual fundraiser, uh, Walk a Mile, Walk, Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. And, um, you know, I have participated in that many times. I think I've only missed one so far since they started doing it because I was out of the country. But, uh, you know, obviously they couldn't do it this year. So like many other fundraisers, particularly organized walks, runs, rallies, and stuff like that, they went virtual, and that meant that they um, they mapped out several courses in several different communities throughout Berkshire County, including Pittsfield and Great Barrington, I think Adams and North Adams, and uh, they arranged for mini walks. And so uh, when I was trying to look at my calendar and figure out when I was going to do it, uh, I found out that my friend, local you know author and celebrity Ty Allen Jackson, was already scheduled to do it last night, which coincided with what would have been third thursday i decided that you know i had it available and it just made sense to do it on third thursday so 
last night we uh, met down at Daddy's and decided to take a little jaunt. Um, you know, we knew for sure that Ty and I were going to be there. There was a big turnout, um, you know, mask use all around, social distancing when we weren't taking a picture. Um, but we had... A big turnout of walkers or of walkers. Okay. Yes, I don't. I didn't do a count, but it it was sizable. It looked like a, a little mini parade, uh, and we were fortunate that we had um, drummers from Youth Alive to kind of come out and set the, the pace and the cadence for us. That was cool, um, Mr. Edgerton and, and two of his his youth drummers, and so we walked from basically from North of Maplewood down to Park Square, across the park, down to Otto's, and then back up on the other side of North Street, back to Dottie's. Stopped several places to take some pictures in front of some sponsors and, you know, waved. And it was, uh, it wasn't the same, but it was good. So, and I know on Wednesday, I believe it was Chief Bacon from uh, Adams, and he and some of his officers did it up there, so. Uh, what did you wear for shoes? Oh, a, a, a stunning, uh, <laughs> a, a stunning pair of red. Uh, they, they weren't they were low heels this time, chunky heels. Because in addition to doing the walk, I had made a decision for personal reasons that I, because for part of my fitness routine this year, I've been doing a lot of rock marching, uh, marching or hiking with a weighted backpack. So I put my rock on. It wasn't my my normal load that I go out for exercise. I I took some of the plates out and halved it, but I had probably, you know, 20 pounds on in my ruck. Um, one, because I wanted to make you know, differentiate this year from other years. But the other thing is I've been listening to a lot of podcasts this year. And one of the podcasts that I follow on a regular basis has been paying a lot of attention um, to gender-based violence in the military. Uh, violence against women, sexual violence, sexual assault against women and um you know, other gender-based violence in the military, and including, um, you know, the, the death of, um, I believe, I think her rank was PFC, uh, PFC Guidance at Fort Hood. So I just, I wanted to, you know, recognize that. So. Cool. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, you know, Walk a Mile is one of those, those events where it's a positive event to bring attention and draw much-needed funds for a very horrific thing. Absolutely. So, yep. um, you know, so if you haven't supported the EFC this year, do that. If you're a listener from outside of Berkshire County, find your local um, rape crisis, women's service center, gender-based violence advocacy center and support them. Yeah, hopefully they can get the normal amount of funding that they normally get through that. Yeah, because that, that, that is a huge event when we're in normal times. Yep. All right, should we, should we move on to traffic stops? Um, traffic stops in general. You know, you mentioned, can we just mention one other, one other oh, thing? Oh, absolutely, of course. We um, we talked about the wildfires, but we didn't mention the big fire at Green Mountain. That's yeah. That's a, you know, a local. Close to home. Yeah, huge firefighting uh, effort there. Massive. And uh, I was reading an article about that yesterday. It, it's um, you know, they, they had to, uh, I don't even know if they got in. And did any internal fire no fighting. i read an article this morning they deemed it not only did they not do internal firefighting when the fire investigators showed up they decided they weren't going to go in to conduct a detailed right. internal investigation uh, because the structure was the the way they described it is they basically said the concrete outer walls turned the structure into an oven 
and it was just incinerating the fuel load inside. Um, the article I was reading this morning, I mean, first of all, you know, shout out to our brothers and sisters on the red side, right? We've learned so much from them in the intervening 19 years, not only about incident command, about mutual aid. They had mutual aid calls from, I think, three states, right? Yeah. Vermont, oh, Massachusetts, yeah. New York. Uh, a massive number of fire companies up there. Um, and if you're familiar with it, it that is a sizable structure. Uh, Huge. Yeah, it's not yeah. conveniently located to the road. I don't know what the the water situation is, but I can't believe that there's there's hydrants and standpipes there. So some of that had to be done with pumpers or ponds. Um, you know, just massive. And the the I guess the thing that struck me when I was reading an article this morning is the town has been concerned for a long time about the security of that structure, but definitely this year because of increased reports of suspicious activity there. And the article said that they've had reports of you know, groups of youth, young people getting in there, using it as like a skateboard park, um, setting campfires, hanging out, maybe partying. And then recently they found people inside the structure on ATVs. Right. right? Yeah. It's like, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, something bad was going to happen. Yeah, and, and some of that was online on YouTube or whatnot. Yeah. It's, you know, it's uh, just kind of exacerbates the issue when... Yeah, and I, something like that, it, it almost attracts that activity. Yeah, and I, I kind of stopped paying attention to what the plans were for that place. I know at one place it was going to be a huge concert venue, and then they had plans for a solar farm. I think the last time I was in contact with anybody about that, the Vermont National Guard was looking at using it as a training location, and we were in touch with them because we were thinking about maybe piggybacking some training with them before that plan went. And then it, I just kind of stopped hearing about it. It's a massive piece of property on the side of Route 7 yeah just sitting there yep all right that was a that was a very tactful and, and diplomatic way to try to avoid this conversation no well, no well. no not avoiding it at all but uh <laughs> i i kind of figure it's gonna go on for a while so yeah well i you know i thought about it because we spent so much time working on this yesterday i don't i mean there's questions and then there's questions right so the the art the news story that has been circulating um probably since the end of over the weekend or the end of last week is that on election day uh, one of our officers a member of our department executed a traffic stop and the operator of the car was um da harrington and for circumstances that you know you and i can talk about in a minute uh the traffic stop was terminated quickly uh the officer you know released released the driver and then subsequently the department learned that at that at that time her license was suspended and questions have been asked about why we didn't take enforcement action about the suspended license and you know as you and i have discussed when we were responding to some media inquiries from the department's point of view the the most important question and really from my point of view the only question was what did the officer know at the time he terminated the stop so we sat down with a reporter from the Eagle yesterday. We had had time to do our, our review and look. And we can say to our listeners and viewers definitively, the officer in question, uh, Sergeant Harland, he's a supervisor on the day shift, did not know during the stop about the license status. That's That we can show. Um, and so 
as long as that's the case, then, well, it may make people uncomfortable or may, people may still have questions. There's, there's no egregious, there's no bad actions, there's no misconduct, right? Discretion in traffic stops is, is pretty much whole, right? I mean, it's one of the things that you know, causes a lot of conversation in criminal justice classes and, and law enforcement ethics classes um, because there isn't, absent a clear criminal violation, there isn't any requirement for what an officer does or doesn't do during a traffic stop. In many cases, it depends on the circumstances of the traffic stop. So in this particular case, uh, Sergeant Herland, who is a supervisor, right? He, he is not a primary enforcement officer. His job is supervising other officers. But as again, as I said, you know, all sworn police officers are police officers. We all have the same authority. We all have the same responsibility. We all have the same duties. But depending on your job, you may take a more involved or less involved role in certain things. And a supervisor's job, for the most part, is to stay available to supervise. Um, so you don't want to get tied up in protracted activities if you can, because you don't know what else is going to happen and when an, an officer may call for you. So in this particular case, the reason for the stop was a relatively minor moving violation, um, wrong way on a one-way street. And I, I don't have, I, I spoke to Sergeant Harlan briefly, but I don't have the circumstances. But th that particular street, you know, the street we're talking about is Gordon Street. It runs from East Street at basically the old Harry Supermarket to Elm Street by the new um, Habitat for Humanity Village. And it's one way in that direction. Um, Elm Street to Deming. Elm, I'm sorry, East Street to Elm Street to Deming. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yep. Uh, and so there's a couple of businesses, including uh, a large medical practice and, and some commercial buildings on there. And you know, I actually, um, I actually sometimes do business with a, a, a business on that street. And if you're not familiar with the street, if you, like, I used to have that patrol sector, so I'm. You know intimately familiar with that street if you're not familiar with that street and you've reached a business on that street and you come out and you exit one of their driveways there's no clear signage in the middle of the street right it's elm street to deming in that direction but once you've arrived at the business there, there isn't any way necessarily to know right. and so i i didn't ask sergeant Herland what activity he was involved in or why he was there but he he clearly was either on or right at the street, um, saw a car going the opposite way, direction toward uh, Demi towards Elm, and he stopped the car uh, because you know that it's an obvious violation, not necessarily a serious violation, but an obvious violation. Um, and so he stopped the car, he initiated the stop, he called in his location and the plate, and then he exited his cruiser and approached the vehicle. And upon approaching the vehicle, you know, that, just as we normally would do, ask the driver for their license, their registration, um, their documentation. And when he received the license, obviously he recognized the name, he knew what he was dealing with. He asked about the one-way street. Um, her res the, the response was she didn't realize the street was one way. It was already off of the one-way street. And uh, he made a decision at that point in time that it's like, you know, okay, you know, this is a one-way street don't do it again and he terminated the stop returning to his cruiser without waiting for any listing information to come back at that point the stop was over um he, 
he releases her. She's free to go. And he calls in the the operator information because the car wasn't registered to, to, to the district attorney. Um, so he calls in the operator information. And he is subsequently, after the stop is over, informed by his his partner, fellow supervisor, that the listing information has now come back, not only on the car, but because he, he provided the operator information and asked that it be added to the call, which you know, was what we would expect, that dispatch had then gone and run the operator information and come back with the suspended status. So the, the question, you know, the underlying question from all the reports locally is, why didn't we do anything then? Right? What, you know, what, how come we had that information and we didn't take action? And it really comes down to, could we meet our burden of proof, right? Could, could we have, because we had given up or surrendered the traffic stop, we pretty much gave up our, our ability in court anyway to testify to that portion of it. It's over. It, it doesn't exist anymore. And so there, there is an expectation in the Commonwealth, not 100% of the time, but the, the expectation is that when doing traffic enforcement, you issue the citation at the time of the stop. It's very, very frowned upon, except in extreme cases like, you know, serious motor vehicle accident or a, a um, pursuit or something that you mail the site or provide the site after the fact. Mm -hmm. And the farther you get from the time of the incident, the less acceptable it is to, to then go back and re reissue the site. So in this particular case, you know, all things, all things being considered, we'd given up the stop. The information wasn't available until the stop was long since concluded. Um, you know, Sergeant wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna try to make that case and I can't disagree with him. Um, he immediately reported through the chain of command what had occurred, how it had occurred, when it had occurred. Uh, he documented what had occurred. And, you know, the decision was made that it, that has gone. It's, it's flown, right? We can't necessarily make that case. And I understand that, you know, that may seem unfair to some people. But the re and we did, you ran some numbers yesterday. The reality is that at a rate of about, 50% of our stuff, we give, we give verbal warnings, right? right? Verbal warnings, well, you know, it's half the number of, of fine citations, right? So between the number of fine citations and the number of verbal warnings and or written warnings just about equal out. Right. Um, so I guess it'd be like a quarter. And you know, that, from the department's point of view, that's, that's really the question, right? When did we have the information about the suspension and was the officer responsible for that information at the time he stopped the co the contact and he wasn't it's not it's not his responsibility at that point um you know so are there some things we can look at as, as far as you know duration of stops how we conduct stops when we terminate stops maybe you know we're always involved in continuous improvement but you know, i guess the point we wanted to make is that particular officer didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, it's um, it, I think too, and, and you know, I think we have all done it where, you know, we have made a stop, and you know, immediately, and actually in this case, I don't think it was immediate. I think, um, you know, based on what I read, he he took her documents before he realized it was the district attorney. But, right. Um, I mean, I've made stops where. 
I'll immediately recognize somebody. It's a minor motor vehicle violation. I know them well enough or I know that they're in a system where when I go back and, and finish out the, the documentation of the stop, I can just backfill what's in our system and you know that's it it's it's documented you know they've gotten a verbal warning um you said what you needed you thought you had to say depending exactly. on the significance of the violation exactly and um you know it, it's done with and um it's it's very it's common i mean a lot of those verbal warnings that that we we issue on a daily basis it's that type of a a situation um so it's it's just not abnormal i think it's important for the listeners right. to understand it's not abnormal for a stop to kind of be quick like that and it really depends you know the so in our conversation with the, the reporter yesterday i shared this i i'm i'm not a what we call in the industry a working police chief um i'm i'm a non-operational police chief, right? I don't fill shifts like some of my colleagues in some of our surrounding towns do. But I drive a police car, I'm often in uniform, so if I have to take enforcement action, I have to take enforcement action. But generally, when I'm on the road in the city, I'm going somewhere, right? I, I, I don't, I rarely get a chance to just go out and patrol. I, I, and I relish those days. Um, but I'm usually headed to a meeting or I'm headed to a training, I'm trying to get somewhere and you know, oftentimes I'm later getting out of the office to get to my meeting than I would like to be because people are coming in or phones ringing or whatever. And so, although I don't stop cars constantly, it's not uncommon for me to execute a car stop for a violation that I observe. Um, but it is uncommon for me to, to issue paper on, on, a, on a stop because I don't want to prolong the stop and be late to wherever I'm going. If I can make the point, you know, check the status of the driver, make sure they're not having a medical emergency, make sure they're not impaired, make sure they understand why I stopped them. Uh, if it's not a, a egregious violation, a you know, public safety violation, more likely than not, I'm going to give a verbal warning uh, and call it in as such. Just because, you know, I, I've made, I've done the stop and I've made my point and, you know, I, I don't want to prolong that stop any longer and make any, make them late and be any later than I am. And so m most of my stops result in that, right? Now, is it possible that the, the stop was, or the violation was so egregious that I'm gonna take the time? Yep. You know, I, I was headed to a meeting in South County last year maybe and somebody passed a school bus right in front of me they're getting paper right that's a gross violation it's dangerous they're getting paper i'll be a couple minutes late to a meeting for something like that but if you rolled a stop sign or uh you know you didn't come to a full stop for a t intersection or you know i, I don't know minor moving by the, the likelihood i'm gonna write the ticket is is probably not there and that's fairly common and again, depending on your, your principal role within the department, the likelihood that you're going to write the ticks, take the time to write the ticket, decreases depending on the amount of authority and responsibility you have within the department, right? Patrolmen, they're probably going to they're probably going to write more tickets. Supervisors, commanders and and commi uh, captains, probably a little bit less. So I, I had a, a similar situation where um, it, it actually it, it turned out to be a suspended license 
where I was on South Street actually uh, within the last year or two um, in in my you know issued unmarked and I was passed in busy traffic on a double yellow line on South Street by a car they're getting pulled over yeah uh, the operator happened to be suspended I have a, a number of options of enforcement options you know I can arrest that operator uh, in that case I you know I somebody else came to get the car right. I summons them um, it, you know and that's that's our our discretion and you know based on the situation that operator made a terrible um, you know operational move but when it came down to it and you know I, I, I engaged in conversation they were they were very cooperative and I, I don't get it because I know your car I mean yeah it's unmarked but it's clearly a police car I don't get it either. <laughs> so your car is clearly a police car. Mine, not so much. But, you know, you know when you're passing us, you're passing a police car. You, you got to. I know. Yeah. Um, know. Let's let's pause there for a second. We'll keep talking about traffic stops when we come back. But let's do our another check of the weather station identification, our PSAs, and then uh, we'll come back and wrap this part up. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Frost advisory in effect from midnight tonight to 8 a.m. EDT Saturday. Today, mostly sunny. Highs in the lower 60s. North wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Tonight, clear. Areas of frost after midnight. Much cooler with lows in the mid 30s. North wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBR FM are provided by the National Weather Service. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal Credit Union with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair, one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people they support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are committed to serving our community in this difficult time. We will bring you live coverage of press conferences and official statements from our government officials on PCTV CityLink Channel 1303, on the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page, and on WTBR as they happen and as we are able to do so. Please stay tuned to our channels and our social media for updates on press conferences and other important information pertaining to the ongoing pandemic. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. My name is Mike Wynn. I'm the Chief of Police here in the city of Pittsfield and one of the co-hosts for this radio show. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa from the Cops Bureau. Good morning, Lieutenant. Morning. So we've been talking, wait a minute, before I get back to this, did that weather say frost advisory? 
I was not paying close enough attention. And if it did, I put it out of my my memory bank. It said Frost Advisory. <laughs> I am not happy. It's too early in the year for Frost Advisory. We are entering the final weekend of summer, though. Yeah. That's it, right? This yeah. is it. That's after this weekend, we are officially in fall. Yeah. I, I like to think that uh, we can at least have until, you know. That I think we got some more warm weather yeah. between us and Halloween. Yeah. All right, so we're talking about traffic stops, all things traffic stops. We didn't get, we should have had Sergeant Madalena come in here this morning. Yeah, right. Think about that when he was with us yesterday. Um, but one of the things that you and Sergeant Madalena managed to do very nicely, kind of package it and bundle it yesterday while we were meeting with uh, Ms. Bello from the Berkshire Eagle was kind of outline the five options available in a traffic stop, depending on the seriousness of of the violation so why don't you just run through that really quickly again yeah so uh, uh you know any traffic stop for uh you know what we call a chapter 90 violation or city ordinance violation is is going to result in at the the most extreme end is going to it's a criminal offense it's going to be an arrestable criminal offense so we can take somebody into custody for you know certain things you know, obviously operating after suspension being one of them, but there's there's a slew of others. Um, it's the abbreviation, you liars. Unlicensed, leaving the scene. It, there's, there's yeah, it's ninety twenty. I've been there's, so far out yeah. of the, the, the tra- like, It's basically like ninety twenty four and ninety twenty five. Yeah. So it's th- th- there's that arrest option. Um, as we tick it down, we have the option to summons. So, you know, in a case like operating after suspension, we can't allow the driver to take the car from the, from the scene so, or drive the car from the scene. So um, it, oftentimes we will either tow or if, you know, the, the situation is, is appropriate and that operator uh, who is suspended can, especially if they're the, the owner of the car, registered owner, they can... Um, have somebody uh, drive it away, whether it's somebody that might have been driving with them that's licensed or somebody arrives to the scene to take the car to, you know, just to kind of make it a little less of a bad day so that they don't have to pay for the tow. Can I, I just interrupt there real sec, real yeah. quick? For, so, so we made this point yesterday, and I know that one of the one of the lines of discussion that's been out there is this happened to me several years ago and I got treated completely differently. Right. And I, I get that. But one of the things that I don't know that people outside of law enforcement are cognizant of is, is enforcement priorities change. Right. And so I don't, I can't remember the date, but I remember getting the guidance. So when I was a patrol officer, if you got somebody with a suspended license, unless they needed to go to the hospital, they were getting arrested. Right. That was pretty much, that was just it, right? And several years ago, in response to some direction and guidance we got from the registry, they basically said, hey, not for nothing, absent a public safety emergency or some you know, big threat to public safety, summons them, right? You know, get the car off the road, but summons them. We don't need all these people getting arrested and processed uh, through, the, through the system. And so we kind of, changed our enforcement structure and priority based on that guidance. And um, I'm not going to say that summons is the preferred method of dealing with suspension now, but 
it it's certainly much more common than it was uh 25 years ago and that happens with all kinds of things right um you know whether it's the big one is expired right like expired right you talked about this expired registration expired license honestly if they can renew it on the side of the road we'll probably just let them renew it right <laughs> right yeah absolutely it that that's done more often than nowadays that people have access to yeah. you know that registry through their smartphones right, sorry i interrupted you, know. you um all right so we uh we have that option to summons um and then as we continue to take it down there's the option to uh issue a a written warning now a written warning is probably going to come into play more for um you know a, a lesser violation we're not going to write up a warning for something that's arrestable and chargeable for the in most cases um but you know speeding um red light stop sign violation those sorts of things we, we do have the option of of written warnings um those have been treated differently by the registry over the years um and not being in traffic i i i don't think that uh i'm probably the best person to um you know kind of speak to their what weight they have um over the years but it's uh it's kind of a, a transitioned um so there's also the the option of a verbal warning um that's and and that's an opportunity um i think you know people may not understand you, you may people might say listen if you're gonna pull me over you have a a, a violation or you're gonna pull somebody over you know give them a ticket that's they did something wrong give them a ticket well that's easier said than done because you know not only do you have different priorities you have different units as you said we're you know we're you know you're a chief on the, on the command staff we're not we're, primary enforcement personnel right and, and as as you said the you know patrol sergeant is not necessarily a primary enforcement for traffic they'll they'll make uh stops obviously um but they're they're more of a supervisory role so that might not be but let me just touch on this for a second because i i think you're you're queuing in on a very important point that maybe a lot of motorists don't understand the traffic enforcement despite what people believe is not about the fines it's about changing driver behavior Right? It's about reducing traffic fatalities and traffic crashes by changing driver behavior. Uh, if you go back and you do the math on the fines, it's barely worth our time to actually go out and do aggressive enforcement. We're trying to change the behavior. So there's this perception that you pulled me over, you're going to write me a ticket. That's, that's a myth. And if you talk to Sergeant Madalena about it, and he's been in here and he's spoken about it on the show, education is equally as important as enforcement because... If, I mean, let's be honest. If if we write a, if we write somebody a ticket for a couple moving violations, and we start putting some surcharges and stuff in there, that's a hit, right? That's that's a big hit for that person. And depending on that person's situation, 
it, it could have long-lasting negative implications. That's not the point of the stop. The point of the stop is to stop the driving behavior. Right? So if we can stop the driving behavior with a positive conversation and a verbal warning, mission accomplished. It, it, yeah, and I, I was kind of headed there. I'm glad you, you um, kind of injected. It, it, you have the education part, but then if you go even further, you know, a outreach has become a big part of right. our our police function. You know, it and so if we can turn a minor violation, you have a bureau dedicated to outreach now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you can turn like a, a minor violation where there was no, uh, you know, terrible risk to the public, maybe a simple mistake, and you can educate that driver have a positive interaction and you know in in some way that that is a good outreach opportunity it's the slide from this week's in service positive outcome positive interaction right 87 percent right that's a b plus that's a that's a good outcome for us Right. right so that's what we're looking for what we don't want is the negative outcome negative interaction right right those those are bad yeah that's an f um so yeah it's Traffic stops are fascinating. They're interesting, right? You, you talked about this a little bit. And I, I wish Mark was here because I'm not sure that my information on this is, is up to date and current. But when I, was, when I was a more senior patrol officer, I went through a period of time when I wrote a lot of written warnings. And I thought I was being noble. Like I, I thought I was cutting people a break. And I got pulled aside by a traffic supervisor and they're like, why are you writing all these written warnings? And I was like, well, you know, I made my point, documented it. I got the paper, but I'm not hitting them in the pocketbook. And he's like, man, you, you're messing with these people. I'm like, what do you mean I'm messing with the people? Like, well, if you write the citation, you write the fine, they automatically get a right of appeal. And if they got a clean driving record, there's a good chance they're going to win that appeal. And this thing's going to be not responsible and it, it'll, it won't enter on their record. But when you write the warning, it goes on their record, not necessarily surchargeable, doesn't necessarily result in points. But the next time they get stopped, there's this lengthy record and they don't have a chance to appeal any of those. Right. So you're building the case against them and they don't get to speak up for themselves. So after that conversation, I've kind of made a decision that if I had the if I wasn't going to write a fine, I probably wasn't going to write at all. Yeah. Yep. I, um, when I was on patrol, I used to, um, a lot of times write warnings, uh, as a result, you know, for accidents I would respond to. So rather than, you know, writing, uh, the at fault driver for, you know, a, a, a fine, I would write the warning to document the, you know, the at fault. And then as I kind of, got a little more experience I realized that I didn't really even need to write the warning as long as it was documented in our system that you know my finding of of fault and you know what it came down to was the insurance companies were going to make their determination anyway so it's uh there's a lot to it and and you know on top of all this different agencies have different objectives you know, you have, we're a municipal police department, 
yes, you know, we have a traffic bureau. We're going to um, engage in, you know, a, a, a certain amount of traffic enforcement. Um, but it, we also respond to a number of other calls. And, you know, I don't think I have to tell anybody in the city that, um, you know, we're a busy department responding to calls for service. So sometimes, you know, that traffic enforcement is, is not the highest priority for those, the patrol officers on duty. They're, they're kind of going call to call. Obviously, the traffic officers, although they, they respond to calls too, they, they try to, to focus more on the, the traffic enforcement. So let's, let's parse out a couple more things you just talked about. One is, you know, that, because I know when I was a supervisor, depending on what was going on in the city and how many units we had, I would tell my crew at roll call, do not get tied up in needless traffic stops, right? I don't need you on the side of the road in a 15-minute traffic stop where we're stacking calls because we got fights going on or something like that. But you can't ignore egregious behavior, right? So I know when I was a supervisor, I had officers initiating traffic stops, having a quick conversation with somebody on the side of the road before they got their listings back and releasing them so they could get back in service to go answer calls, right? That happens all the time. And then the other thing, <clears throat> I think it was yesterday's article um, in the Eagle, they they did a they did a count of the traffic stops for the for the day for election day with the number of citations versus the number of verbal advisements. But you had said when you got ready to release it, there's no context because we had two special enforcement details out that day. Right, yep. one was a. a pedestrian crosswalk safety violation or f violation detail and the other one was a OUI enforcement detail uh, early in the day and late in the day and those special enforcement details are grant funded and and they write they generate tickets right there there's no you have to be clear there's no quota but officers who are on overtime to do traffic enforcement write more tickets that's so the number of tickets on that particular day was way beyond what we see on any normal day right uh and with the exception of the two verbal advisements and and i think a training car everything was written by the officers on those two details right so um it was not if you look at strictly the numbers without understanding the what was going on right it it, it the optics weren't good. The number of tickets from each of those officers exceeded the number of tickets for the department for the following week. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, you know, they're out there doing what they came in on overtime yeah. to do. Right. Yeah, it's a different mission. Um, so the other thing that you, you just alluded to, and this, I'm glad you brought this up. It's not strictly related to the conversation we're having today, but I, I see this in news reports all the time and I hear it in community meetings all the time. And so we we do a crash report and after the fact we'll get the request from the media or we'll get the request from one of the from one of the operators was the other driver cited so, well no well why not and you just said it right because the citation is not part of determining fault in the crash the investigator determines fault in the crash assigns fault in the crash you don't need the site to do the crash investigation right yeah, it's, it's not already, a requirement it's already documented yeah and so you know are there cases when 
the oper- the at fault operator and maybe even the not at fault operator will receive a citation? Yes, but those are the cases where we need the citation to prove something else, right? Negligent operation, driving to endanger, OUI, you know, some egregious violation. Um, criminal offenses. It, yeah, for the most part, criminal offenses or something just so beyond the pale that you're like, I, I got to do something here, right? right. Like they, they just... I you know I don't want to make gross generalizations. Inexperienced drivers are probably more inclined to get at fault in a ticket, right? You kind of got to like document the behavior that was going on, distracted driving. It, and all this stuff we're talking about, th- this is why there is police discretion in yeah. traffic stops. Because if we did the same thing for everybody, not everybody's makes this, the same mistake. They're not all with the same to the same degree right so it's you know we're i think hopefully this this is kind of uh putting out an understanding i think we're going to be talking about this a lot for a long time to come so i have another topic i want to talk about briefly with the few minutes we have left because it has just been uh it has been a persistent thorn in my side since i since before I became the chief, but definitely during the pandemic. And uh, you're helping me mitigate some of the, the after effects and the backlog. But we, had, um, we have had a lot, actually, I'm probably going to have to testify, or not testify, but you know, I'm probably going to have to have some discussion on this in either next week's police advisory review board meeting or the following one, depending on who's in attendance. And it's, it's the licensing process for license to carry and firearms identification cards. And so I just, you know, you know, because we talk about this all the time, the laws in the Commonwealth are very odd, right? So in the Commonwealth, for Massachusetts residents, the community that you live in or you're the principal business owner in is responsible for designating a licensing authority for purposes of firearms credentialing. And in Pittsfield, that's me. Now, that's not me because I'm personally involved in that work on a day-to-day basis. That's me because when I took over the department and I looked at what was going on, I didn't want, I didn't want anybody else from the staff to have to deal with this because it, it's a unique area of law. It's a pain, and it can be time-consuming when it doesn't go well. Um, but while I am the licensing authority, one, I'm not involved in the day-to-day operations of, of the licensing function. That's an administrative, non-sworn civilian function. And despite the fact that I am the licensing authority, I have no control over the actual process of providing the licenses. That process is actually owned by the Commonwealth. So they designate me the licensing authority, but particularly in the last, like, you know, I don't even know when. I think it's post-2007, and then it changed again in 2014. When they got rid of the paper credentials, and so you start getting the credentials that look like a, a driver's license, well, those are produced by the Commonwealth. They're not produced by PPD. So we don't have a whole lot of control over that end of the process once we get the applicant through the process. So this has become a a big question and a hot button issue in the last several months because although we're the licensing authority, we take our direction from from the Firearms Records Bureau. We have to do everything through their computer system. There's one system, 
It's not a system that most people are trained on. You're not familiar with it. It's not something you learn in the academy. It's a specialized skill. You have to go to school or training for it. And the requirements, whether it's a new applicant or a renewal, are different. And so I want to talk specifically about some of the backlog we had with the new applicants. A new applicant who comes in has to be put in the system, and they have to be photographed, and they have to be fingerprinted. And early on in the pandemic, we got some suggestions and some advice from the chief's council saying, you know, to the best of your ability, continue to process licenses. And so we switched to taking applications by mail, and the renewals got processed. They, they went through. Um, it, there was some delays. We got a call last week that 100 of our renewal licenses had been misshipped to Plainfield PD, and we're sitting in a, a department up there, and we had to send a courier up to go get them. But again, not part of the process we control. But the new applicants had to be fingerprinted. And although the, you know, the chief's council was like, do the best you can, bring these people in and print them, our local health guidance was nobody in our buildings. Nobody in our buildings. So when City Hall shut down, we shut down our administrative support offices. And that meant no ability to do the fingerprints. Now, I understand that people think that, you know, we should have figured a way out. The guidance was nobody in, right? We're, we're shut down. The health emergency trumped everything. I'm sorry if you took that personally, if you, if you think that it was a violation of your rights. We had to protect our, our staff and our force, and that was the reality we were living with. When we did the reopening and we started to go through the reopening, we then realized we had a, a new set of challenges, right? The Commonwealth had given us permission to work around the photographs. We could try to access people's registry photographs. If they had a Massachusetts driver's license, we could import the photograph over, so that took care of one. But we still needed to do the fingerprints. And the original thought that was with some plexiglass barriers and proper mask use and gloves, that we could just do the fingerprints. And for reasons that I can't get into on the air, we couldn't do that. There, there was no way that the staff that we had available assigned to that work was going to be able to do the fingerprints and do it safely. And I wasn't going to ask them to. So then we had to figure out a new way forward. And fortunately, the new way forward is we have a pre-academy cadet. He's assigned to you. It was a fairly quick pivot to get him trained to roll fingerprints. And so this week, he has started making appointments to bring existing new license applicants in to get their fingerprints done. It's the last piece we need to submit it. Once we submit it, you know, the turnaround time from the Commonwealth can be extensive. They're behind with everything, too, because all of their offices were closed. But once it goes through the process and it gets approved locally and it gets approved by uh, Firearms Records Bureau and Desegis, then they'll mail it to us. And as soon as we get it, we'll mail it to you. It's the best we can do. 2020 has been hellacious for everybody. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> that, there's no other way to put it, right? It's, it's, some stuff is unavoidable. Um, but I'm glad for everybody that has a pending new application that uh, the ball is rolling. Yeah. So more to come on that. The, the prints are getting done. I saw uh, Cadet Bryant bringing people into the north stairwell to roll their prints all day yesterday steady flow of people yeah he's got a good pace going so if you're waiting to get your prints done contact the firearms office and make an appointment and come in and get your prints done if no if you're waiting to get your prints done he'll call you he'll call you okay <laughs> he'll call you. Right. he's uh he's going down he's the list going down the list from 
um, starting back from the first people in March that were due. And um, he, he, he's through it where if you're on that list, you'll probably get a call. Uh, he's, he's done all of this week over the next two weeks. All right, belay my last. Wait to hear from pre-academy cadet Bryant. He'll get you in. All right, we got four minutes left. Last week I forgot to do the uh, cultural Pittsfield this week thing. Sorry, Jen. Lots of stuff going on. Um, I got to I got to see Godspell at the Colonial in their tent this week. It was amazing. All kinds of stuff going on. New productions coming out from um, Barrington Stage. Check out the Cultural Pittsfield newsletter. Stuff going on. It's tonight. That's tonight out at Hancock Shaker Village, Wanda Houston. Woman has pipes. Uh, Berkshire Ollie's fall semester starts. Roots, ro- Roots Rising Farmers Market. You know what? I'm not going to read this whole thing. Sign up for the Cultural Pittsfield newsletter. Find out everything that's going on in and around Pittsfield. It's going to be a brisk and interesting fall weekend. Enjoy it. Any last thoughts, Lieutenant? No. Um, I don't know if you mentioned this, the, the Halloween parade. I, I did not. It was announced, I think, earlier this week or maybe late last week that that has been canceled for this year. I totally missed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, haven't heard about trick or treat. I'm afraid to even mention it. People yeah. have been calling the department. We don't make that decision. Right. Like that's a that's a parks and rec decision. We don't make that decision. So stand by on that. Plans for the weekend? Um, I don't know. I got to see what the weather's like. Uh, you know, I, we mentioned frost. All of a sudden, it's like uh, all that fall house stuff. You know. I, um, Heating season is upon us. Yeah. You know, this is actually the perfect, you know, window here. You oh, don't, yeah. You don't have to run the AC and the heat's not going yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> right. Good, what we say, good sleeping weather. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Crack a couple windows, get that fresh air in there. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. I'll How about you? I, I don't know. I've got um, some dinner plans tonight. I've got a train tomorrow. I've got a I got some lesson plans I have to update. I really need to get that done. Um, I'll probably have to do some writing and obviously get some exercise. Uh, got to put the weight back in my rucksack after last night. So, truly. Actually, my son started fall ball practice this week. I think he's got a game. So nice. It's good to the kids have some normalcy. All right, we have about one minute left. Um, Listen, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to like you know cross any lines or anything. Regardless, it, we talked about the wildfires, we talked about the storm surge and, and rain and hurricane damage down south that's ongoing. Uh, we're in the middle of this response to a global pandemic. We we have a lot of fellow Americans who are who are on the ropes right now. Regardless of what your belief system positive vibes put out good thoughts keep those people in mind Um, if you can do something to support them by all means do be well be healthy be kind just you know bill and ted's coming out right be excellent to one another with that thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week for another new episode of on patrol with the ppd here on wtbr 39.7 fm we're out Thank you.